The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? Although I lean into it, it still really hurts me. Does it still hurt you? Like, I do it because I feel like I have no choice. Because people will make fun of me whether I join in or not. And so I feel backed into a corner. And I I called my book Scammer because my Google search history will always have scam attached to my name so I might as well fucking own it but it doesn't mean I like it and it doesn't mean it's okay when people compare me to Billy McFarlane or Anna Delvey. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Caroline Calloway. Listen guys I'm gonna keep this short. You guys have been begging for Caroline to come on the podcast for months I literally got three DMs this week being like, when's the Caroline episode coming out? You guys had plenty of questions for her, which we got to. And we covered, I feel like everything, everything from both being on Z-Way's talk show to life in the spotlight, to addiction, to suicide, to mental health issues. We really covered it all. So... You know, I will keep it short, like I said, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Caroline as much as I enjoyed sitting down with her. And so with that, here's this week's episode with Caroline Calloway. I hope you enjoy it. I'm really excited about this. This is going to be good. I'm so excited about this too. I literally bought your book last night and started reading it. And I was so blown away. I also watched the Paris Hilton documentary last night. So I feel like, mm. I feel like I've come to class having done the reading. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel I'm so excited for this. Good. Good. Yeah. I think this will be good. Um, First of all, how's your mom? She's doing well. I mean, I'm very jealous. She's on the most intense painkillers and being the nervous wreck that I am and former addict, I honestly would love nothing more than to be zonked out right now. But um, but all dark jokes aside, she is doing great. It's weird to think that her butt is now just one smooth, scarred piece of skin. I mean, it's such crazy surgery, but the tumor is out and the next big thing will be waiting on the biopsy to make sure that the tumor wasn't worse than they thought it was or anything like that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And I relate to that desire to like check out and escape from our reality when it's really hard. So I get that too. And I hope that, I hope that you're taking good care of yourself too. I think that's really, yeah. I mean, (laughs) Life is really kicking my ass right now. I won't lie, though. And I I honestly feel so guilty as even though I don't take Adderall anymore and the only drug that I really do with any regularity is wine and coffee. So I can't call myself sober, but I 
I definitely feel guilty for how much I want to just dive off the cliff of drug usage into something harder when times get stressful. Like the impulse doesn't go away just because I've stopped doing it, you know? Yeah, I I understand that. And And I think that for me, and I don't know how you do it because I... I can't do it unless I am like so plugged in, have all of the solution and like, you know, totally sober. So I, my hat's off to you because I know that it's really, really challenging to do that. I want to start this interview by saying that up until a few minutes ago, I'd never heard of you. And then I got this like influx of people that are like, you have to have Caroline on the podcast. And I'm like, okay, we can, we can probably make this happen. And then I started to do some research. And obviously there's a lot of similarities in our experience, not the same exact scenarios, but a lot of the same chaos, right. And being kind of thrown in a weird way into this like cancel culture online hatred, all of that. So before we start this interview, I want to point out two things that I think are really important because I think that if you're a follower of Caroline's and you're coming to this podcast for the first time, you think that this is just going to be like a rip Caroline apart interview, like many of her other interviews have been. Like the comments that I got of people with their submitted questions, I was like, holy. Oh, I bet they were. I bet they were awful. Honestly, one of my best friends is the lead digital reporter for the New York Times. And she said that she deals with right-wing trolls. She recently got dragged into like QAnon, child trafficking conspiracy theories. She told me my trolls are the most vicious she's seen anywhere on the internet. And she- It's intense. She's seen some dark stuff. Yeah, I, I tried to block the ones that were honestly- Their comments to you about child sexual abuse were so insensitive. And I flip-flopped back and forth between um, trying to block them and just being like, these people are crazy and I I can't live my life being afraid of them. You can't. Um, So I, I will just start by saying this. In the last decade of my sobriety and of my recovery, I've I've gained this gift of ability to zoom out which I think allows me the ability of seeing the bigger picture and answering or asking questions that are not often asked. So I want to start with this. When you said that you were coming on this podcast, when you announced with that picture of Emma Watson on your feed, which I thought was hilarious, you wrote a little caption about how what my commentary was on Emma Watson playing me in the movie, The Bling Ring. And my kind of feelings around um, an interview she gave about me. And I found it really interesting that one of your followers posted, and and this is going to tie in, so just bear with me, people. Someone put, you can be sexually abused and be a bad person at the same time. These are the comments that I'm referring to. Yeah, Yeah, that was... So it's okay. It's okay. Because here's the thing. I I want people to understand this response. And then what I'm saying next, 
because I think that it doesn't just apply to me, but it applies to you and every other woman who's been on the internet and has been publicly shamed or in quotes canceled. Because I think it's really interesting too, you've never really been canceled. You've had massive scandals, but you've ne- you still maintain over half a million followers on Instagram. I mean, I think it's so funny how we're like, oh, this person's getting canceled and we jump on these hate trains, but like no one's really getting canceled. I mean, I talked about this before I saw somewhere and thought it was hilarious. Like Paula Dean, who used the N-word, is still selling cookbooks. Like no one's really getting canceled, but we love to hate on each other. So this person's clearly throwing some hate. And my response was, I think it's interesting, especially in the U.S., how we focus so heavily on the idea of a puritanical society. This does nothing but lead to further divide and ultimately the continuation of pain and suffering. We slip into this made up idea of better than or worse than bad and good to make ourselves feel better or superior to others. When in fact, most everything is actually quite neutral. We can all be both good and bad. So it is simply not so black and white. There's a lot of nuance when it comes to trauma, addiction, mental illness, and healing. You certainly wouldn't refer to someone who's mentally ill as a bad person, or at least I'd hope not. And furthermore, you shouldn't be referring to addicts as bad people either. We as a whole need to get to a place where we can hold people accountable and hold them at the same time. That's my intention with this interview. I, lo- I loved I loved that line. And it's so funny that you think that it's so strange to me that you were like, this interview, you might expect it to be scathing, but it's not. I mean, recently I've had a lot of nice interviews and I honestly expected us to be good friends. I've known about you for, since the bling ring. And yeah, I've, I've always, I've always thought we would meet and hit it off. Like when that email came in, I felt like, I felt like the old saloon Mm. bartender in like an old Western (laughs) film. Like, ah, I always knew you'd come by. If you're anything like me, then you've been spending a lot more time in front of your computer and your phone. And I am personally prone to headaches, and that's why I love my Blue Blocks glasses. Blue light damages our eyes and leads to digital eye strain. Symptoms of digital eye strain are blurred vision, headaches, and dry, watery eyes. For some, this can even cause heightened anxiety, depression, and overall low energy. Blue Blocks was created to fix these problems and block out the blue light with evidence-based high-quality lenses. Unlike other types of blue light glasses, blue blocks are backed by the latest science and made under optics laboratory conditions in Australia. Blue blocks was created to change the way that we use blue light blocking glasses with high quality lenses for daytime, nighttime, and for color therapy, exactly in line with the latest peer-reviewed academic literature. They have over 20 frames in the latest fashion trends and come in prescription, non-prescription, and readers. Blue Blocks can also turn almost any pair of glasses that you own into custom blue blockers. They simply take your existing glasses and fit them with their lenses so you can have peace of mind knowing that your blue blocks will fit you correctly and have the pair that's right for you. Blue Blocks is also giving back and working in partnership with Restoring Vision in their Buy One, Gift One campaign. For each pair of Blue Blocks glasses purchase, they donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. I love that. 
Get your energy back, sleep better, and block out the unhealthy effects of blue light with Blue Blocks. Go to Blue Blocks today and get free shipping worldwide and 15% off with the code REALITY. That's Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use the code REALITY for 15% off. Hi, I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra. My passion, calling, and job is really all about blending together holistic practices with real evidence-based science to help people around the world cultivate more optimism, success, and resiliency. You won't want to miss this new podcast as you'll get to hear from elite athletes, recording artists, couples, and maybe even my toddler. So if you're into arming yourself with some new practical happiness tools, join me on Mondays for your morning optimism dose. Oh, and don't forget, things are looking up. I just think it's interesting because so many people were like, hold her accountable. And, and, you know, they had all of these really, this intensity behind their questions for you. Cause I, I did, obviously I put together some research and started asking the community, like, what would you like to hear? And I think people were like expecting me to somehow, I, I think it's this weird thing, Caroline, and I'm going to, wrap it with this and then we'll dive in. I think it's interesting because people see the Alexis today and they expect something. They hold me up to this standard, to this pedestal. Oh, she's recovered. She's X, Y, or Z or whatever their perception of me is. And it's interesting because same thing happened when I did the Tana, when I had Tana um, Mojo on the podcast. Everyone was like, why would you even sit down with her? She is so messy. Did you know that she said racist shit in the past? Did you know blah, blah, blah? And it's like, no, we have to get to a place where we can have these tough conversations and be loving and kind and have empathy towards each other. Like the scenarios that you've gone through, which are really hard publicly, are the same things that I've gone through. And even though I look recovered, I still very much so suffer. And I think that whenever someone generates as much hate and animosity and judgment as you or me or whoever else, Tana, does on the internet, it's interesting, like what I try to figure out, and I had to write this down because I I just think it. someone needs to do a case study of the U.S. on this. What is it about ourselves that we're so scared to look at and admit that we need to then put and project onto these people online? You, me, the Tanas of the world. What is it that you represent about us as Americans, as a society that horrifies people so much to the point where they will sit there and continue to follow you just to hate you? You know, it's like, that they try to turn you into the scapegoat. I think it's an interesting way of looking at what is going on with you on the internet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, asking followers for anything that has our first and last name in it and opens up a crowdsourcing situation of opinions from the world wide web, like that premise would not 
pass for a sound scientific experiment because the pool of responses are so self-selecting. Like the only people who will be compelled enough to write in are the people who feel really strongly about it. Like I listen to lots of podcasts, but like I have other things to do than submit questions. I mean, like I figure if it's, you know, breaking news, the news will cover it. And like, I just don't have time to hate people that much. And like, so the people who submit stuff for me or Tana, or I don't know who come after you in the comments, like those are people, you can't see them as representative of the population as a whole. I mean, I think you're making an excellent point, but I think it's important to hold side by side the fact that like they are not speaking for everyone. They're speaking for the loudest people on the internet, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so for any of those people who are here today listening to this, I I would live your life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I would just ask you, like, what is it about us that what is it about us that's triggering something in you? Like, I think that it's an important, I think self-reflection is really important. And so I would ask anyone who is so quick to hate, who doesn't have the ability to go, oh, I wasn't raped at five, so I can't possibly know why this person turned to drugs and stole and did what they did. If someone really doesn't have the ability to have that perspective, I think it's time to do some self-inquiry. You know, something that's so beautiful about you is I love how you're speaking directly towards the trolls and you, maybe this is, maybe this is your momness coming out, or maybe this is you, the recovery program director. And I'm usually, I'm usually like the Charlotte of the group that's like true love. Like I assume the best to a fault, but I'm so jaded when it comes to this. And it's so striking for me to see you have such hope for them and such, I just, I think it's a lost cause in terms, I think, I don't think they're lost causes as people. Let me be careful about my phrasing. As recovered addicts, I would never want any human being to ever think they're a lost cause. But I just think that, I think they're already so made up in their minds to hate us. I just think engaging with them in any sort of like trying to be productive and help them search inwards. I just, I admire you for having the the purity of heart to want to do it because there is a cynicism in me that's just like, I don't know if I've just been going through it so long. I mean, like the stuff and maybe the stuff with my mom in particular is putting it into perspective. Like I've always known my trolls were really bad. Like, you know, my friend at the New York times, who's seen, she's really, she's really like mapped out the internet. Like she's seen it all. And like, for her to say that, I mean, like it. It always made me put it in perspective, but recently with my mom, they've just been saying the most vile stuff about her cancer. I made a YouTube video about it and the comments were so mean that my second YouTube video was just reading those comments because I literally could not believe what they were saying. And yeah, I guess I just, maybe I'm numb to them as a coping mechanism because it's just no human being is designed to withstand the fire hose of hate that gets pointed at us sometimes, but I really admire you for being so optimistic about being like, this could be the podcast that changes them. Like, look within yourself. Why do we trigger you? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I'm so cynical about them. 
Today, we're spicing it up a bit. As you know, I'm a huge fan of Woomore Play. You guys see them often on my Instagram, specifically their coconut love oil, although I love the entire line, but Evan's sitting right next to me, and I think he would agree that as far as lube goes, this is top notch. And so I'm super excited to tell you about their new product launch called Woo Vibes, a clitoral vibrator and chic travel case for better sex on the go. Let's get this straight. This isn't your run-of-the-mill back alley sex store type of vibrator. Vibes is cute with white and rose gold tones and a special travel case designed to keep your toy clean and discreet for after play. It has a heart-shaped handle and is the perfect accessory for solo play or partner play. Don't knock it until you've Try it. Bringing vibes into the bedroom with a significant other is a game changer. Vibes has five functions. So basically there's five different rhythms to play with until you found your perfect vibe. It's made with premium silicone and designed for clitoral stimulation. So love oil, my fave, and vibes are BFFs. And when you're done playing, just unwrap one of Wu's freshy towelettes to wipe your vibes and then go store it back in the travel case. It's so easy and no one will know what you've been up to but Wu. Vibes is the only vibrator on the market with a super chic travel case that looks good on any vanity stand and blends in with your beauty shelf, no questions asked. Right now, you can head over to Woo More Play and use the code REALITY for 20% off your order of Woo Vibes today. That's 20% off with code REALITY. Trust me, you'll keep coming back for more. When I was trying to learn more about you, I couldn't really find anything about your childhood online. So would you mind going back? I mean, I know where you were born and raised, and I know a little bit about your family. But I'm curious to know, as a child, did you, what was your life like? What was your family dynamic? My dad was really mentally ill. He never got diagnosed with anything, but because he never went to a doctor, um, he refused to get treatment. But he was really angry and erratic. And my mom was great, but it was tough. Uh, My therapist was just telling me the other day that he thinks that I don't have a full appreciation for how much that trauma. This was our last session, actually. And I was thinking a lot about childhood trauma because I knew we'd be filming this the day after. He was like, I don't think you understand like how traumatic what you're describing is. And it was just really intense verbal abuse. And he shouted a lot. And, and I think on top of that, I inherited, I mean, we know depression is genetic and and that certain mental illnesses like physical illnesses can be inherited. And I definitely think, I definitely, I think I inherited some of whatever he had in his head that led him to suicide, because I just can't remember a time when I thought, I think it's so bizarre people who really just are so happy and like life. I just don't understand it. I just, how? Like the people who are just at peace with being alive, I just don't get it. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. They say that people who attempt suicide usually do have either bipolar, borderline personality disorder something like that. It's not usually people who are just depressed that commit suicide. It's usually people who have 
a much more severe mental illness. How old were you when your dad died? Uh, it was last year. It was the day after mm. the day Natalie's article came out. Or that's when I found out. he His body had been rotting for about a week, but I didn't know it was happening. So I, I guess he died probably around the 5th. I found out around the 12th. Mm. And were your parents still together? Or were they divorced? No, they got divorced when I was... I think seven or six, and I moved to live with my mom. Mm. Do you have any siblings? Until then, we were, no, I'm an only child. You have your sister, right? Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Part of me is glad that I had someone there during all of the chaos, but she has a very different perception because he, my father was never physically violent towards her, only towards me. So she still like had this deep love for my dad, where I had, you know, a lot more trauma and had seen a lot more. But I always ask, yeah, I'm older. Yeah, I'm two and a half years older than she is. So I just think it's interesting when you have siblings to, you know, to see if, they had the had a similar experience or perception of what was happening as you did. My sister and I have very different ones. That must be so hard. Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah, I mean, I I love how in the in your book you talk so much about like escaping from reality and coming to terms with reality, but I think one of the most interesting and difficult things for me in my recovery has been like, I don't know, finding this, the personal conviction of belief to believe in my own reality, even when other people didn't see it. I mean, like a lot of my Adderall, addi- some people don't, still don't even think Adderall is addictive. I mean, like they, they do give it to third graders, but like I, yeah. And it, it's just always hard for me when I bump into those people in the world, there's like Adderall, how are you addicted to Adderall? And I can only imagine that feeling with science behind me being like, it is methamphetamine applied to like the scale of like, this is, you have such a bond with your sister. Like you probably rely on her emotionally for other things and to have to like find the strength to like grow apart from her in this way and like stand really like rely on yourself. That would just be so disorienting and and unnerving. Yeah, I think it's interesting because in my recovery, and I'm sure you can relate to this too in some degree, like when you're in the midst of so much trauma, you're just trying to survive, right? And so you're putting on a show, you're not really living in reality, you're living in survival mode. And so much of my life was just pretend, which is like a mind fuck when you start going down that rabbit hole. And actually tends to lead me towards kind of a disassociation well like if that wasn't real then like what is real right like if my whole childhood was built off of like lies and deception and bullshit then like what is truth and then I have to like reground myself and like truth is like love truth is for me sobriety is my relationship with my husband and my kids etc but putting that all aside, I just think it's interesting. And a couple of years into my sobriety, I was like, guys, I'm just not willing to live this lie anymore. Dad's an alcoholic. He was an abusive piece of shit at the time. 
You know what I mean? Like my mom was not a good mom. And I just, I, I stopped the bullshitting and eventually they all came to terms with it and like started doing the work themselves. But it definitely took, took a while. In your book, you have a beautiful line being like, you know, I have a good relationship with my dad now um, and you can forgive, but it doesn't mean you have to forget. The writer in me was like, oh, yes, go off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I think yeah, it and all it's goes just back. It all goes back to what I was saying before about and I didn't get this for myself. I got it from my friend Ashley about holding people accountable and holding them at the same time. Like I can accept him and all of his flaws and have love and appreciation for the things that he did did do which during my childhood really just entailed um giving birth to me or making me (laughs) and it's gotten better in like his older (laughs) years but like as a child like the only thing I can think that I'm grateful for you for is the fact that like I'm alive today that's that's pretty much it So going back to your addiction, yes, Adderall is a very real addiction as a treatment center provider. I know um, all too well that um, Adderall is a highly addictive substance, just like pain pills can be, just like benzodiazepines can be, Adderall can be as well. What age were you when you started using Adderall? Um, I was, uh, it was my first or second year at NYU. Natalie actually gave me my first Adderall, but I mean, like how were either of us to know? Like it's lots of people take Adderall and don't get addicted the same way lots of people have wine and don't become alcoholics. But that was when I had my first Adderall and my usage sort of ramped up over that next year at NYU. And then when I transferred to Cambridge over the next three years in England, it just spiraled out of control. And once I got money from the book deal, then I could fly back every month to refill my prescription, which I think drug addiction, when it's cushioned by privilege, a lot of times by economic privilege, by uh, racial privilege, by even pretty privilege, like people somehow rank it as like less worse than another addiction. And I, I totally believe that like the other things that happen when addiction is compounded with poverty or racism, that is a trauma that deserves examination and unpacking and healing. But like the addiction itself, like just looking at my relationship to substance, like it was, I would, there was no amount of money I wouldn't spend to get it. There was no flight I wouldn't take, no amount of time I wouldn't, no class I wouldn't miss, no anything. And, and the weird thing about Adderall was when you take a lot of it, it's not even that fun. Like once you've been on too much Adderall for like two years, like you, you don't even know any of your friends. Like they haven't been around you sober for like two years like you don't even know yourself because you don't even know what your sober personality is like and you can never sleep like you're always awake and you always have headaches and you're always shaky and sometimes you lose circulation and you know they say a sign of addiction is that you make rules for yourself that you can't help but break 
And by the time I was a senior at Cambridge, the rule I always found myself breaking was on the third day, you have to sleep. Because like I just considered like 48 hours, like a normal waking unit of time. Like I knew with the amount of Adderall that I'd be doing, there's no way I would sleep within the first two days. But like day three, you start to like, like my knees would give way. Like I'd just like, it's like someone would cut the strings on a marionette, like weird side effects that I don't see on WebMD. And I would still keep taking Adderall until like I just crashed on day four. Like my body really never made it past the fourth day of being awake. But um, yeah, and then I stayed addicted for a year after Cambridge when I was still in my book deal. And when I finally got out of that contract, I sort of you know, I, I feel a little guilty about not having a more normal recovery story because I feel like I have a platform and I really want to support. There's so much stigma around getting help and I want to support people going through programs that work. So I support you going through a program that works if you're out there listening and dealing with something. I didn't go through a program. I literally just replaced the stress of drugs with the stress of my book deal falling apart and not really being a writer and maybe going into debt. I was going to ask you, like, do you think that getting off of the Adderall without proper support, I, I know this to be my experience and many others, like we can get addicted to chaos, to coffee to I mean you can be addicted you can replace your addiction with anything sex working out you know whatever it might be some people binge eat things like that I don't think and this is just my view on on the scenario and correct me if I'm wrong I think that you clearly saw that Adderall was a problem stopped it but you've never really taken the time or had had that self-reflection kind of part like you you're just you you stop the Adderall and then you've been go 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 you've never really taken that time to like step back from that it doesn't sound like and I, to do the healing I work I disagree okay when I stopped Adderall I took the next two years off of Instagram like I was gone from the internet so I had my Cambridge mm. stuff which blew up and in Natalie's article she's really we wrote captions together when I just had an audience of 40,000 bots. So we wrote captions together for no one. And then I went to Cambridge and alone wrote the Instagram content that actually got me real followers. And then I hired Natalie again when I was very sick and we co-wrote the book proposal. Yes, she was a ghostwriter because her name wasn't on the finished document, but we split the work 50-50. Like, and to I, be clear, that's I'm not abnormal. Like I had a ghostwriter no. that helped me with my book. So I, that's like a normal thing. Any of these celebrity memoirs that you're reading are not written by the celebrity. Like I sat down with someone and had them write the framework of a book for me. And then I went in and added you know, the wall, put the walls up, added the windows, put on all of the furniture. Like if you're imagining a house, right? Like you, that's not an ab abnormal thing. What Natalie's claiming 
if I'm correct, is that she, you're saying that she did less during those Cambridge years and she thinks that she still did more. No, no, no. She actually, she actually totally stays out of any sort of like defamatory libelous waters. She is very clear in her essay saying we work together, you know, before she went to Cambridge, these are my memories in New York. Um, I found out we'd been writing for no one. And then in her essay, she talks about, you know, she quotes emails that she sent me being like, hey, respond to me. Like, let me help. Like, how can I write with you? And I just ignored her for two years. And then she jumps back into the narrative when we co-wrote the book proposal. Mm -hmm. And so she's a brilliant writer and she made a really smart move to sort of, um, she just never flat out says, you know, when I got real followers, I did it alone. She just mm. made an essay. And, you know, New York Magazine. She just, so she left that all, out. She left out addressing it directly. And New York Magazine, I mean, to be fair, like Natalie never says that she made me famous. But I think a lot of it was just like the narrative that got picked up by the news was like, she made me famous. And that really sucked because. Building that audience at Cambridge was one of the few good things I did when I was really sick. Like I was a terrible friend. I was such a liar. I was such a mess. But like I did build a bond with the community of readers. And it was so sucky to see that one of the only things I liked about myself during those years get attributed to someone else and sort of get taken away from me. But it's sort of like what you were saying about, you know, or what we were talking about with people having different versions of reality. Like it's mm -hmm. just, you have to find the strengths to like the whole world could think something, but like I was there. And if you read Natalie's article, like she supports everything I'm saying in terms of like me building that brand alone, but the news picked up another story. I don't really understand the scandal. I mean, it's, it's interesting because as far as the Natalie aspect of this thing goes it doesn't really seem listen the headline was really scathing and I obviously dealt yeah. with this right like when I with this when the sus suspects wore Louboutins came out and then the fair right like I dealt with something similar and in it I think it's interesting the media spin that that goes which is really just other people's opinions on the situation. But totally. when I look at what transpired between you and Natalie, I don't really get it. Girl, you are preaching to the <laughs> choir. Like I, I bought followers, scandalous, but less scandalous in 2012. Like this was before the Everyone days of influencing. Everyone buys followers. I, I have not. Still, I you think? But I have a yeah. I have a tiny ass following right now, and I've never bought followers. But I know all. First of all, I can buy an app online that shows me exactly what percentage of people's followers is fake, and I have ran that on. Let's just say, the vast majority of my influencer friends and. They have all bought, whether it's 10, 20, 100 to 200,000 fake followers, they've bought followers. I don't think, 
I think people do it less. I think it was more common like back in the beginning of the day. This is my Charlotte naiveness coming out. Like it was really weird to me when you were like the hopeful one that was like, no, I believe the best. I was like, what a strange dynamic for me to be the cynical one. I'm like, no, I bet it's probably not. I bet they're fine. Like, but, um, but yeah, I don't see the problem either. I am with you. Like I, I hired my friend. I always paid her, which I like, whether Did it she was. she say that you don't? You know, no, no. She no. was like, okay. I was fairly compensated. But pe- it's really just, I think hating pretty thin white women is one of the last guilt-free pleasures the world has left. Because, you know, white men are way too powerful to hate. You can't hate them. Like, they have way too much money and power. And hating someone more marginalized is basically a hate crime. And thank goodness for that. But yeah, I think we just, we love being mean to women online. And the way, I mean, Natalie, Natalie knows how smart I am. She knows what a good writer I am. But she, with the precision of a surgical scalpel, removes all of my intelligence, removes all of my skill as a writer, removes most of all my addiction. And, you know, if I wrote, uh, if I wrote an essay about my mom's cancer, before it was discovered. And I presented the symptoms of her undiagnosed tumor, which was lethargy, um, fatigue, as some sort of moral character flaw, like laziness or disregard for me as a person and never used the word cancer. Like I let that essay end without ever addressing even just mentioning it, I'm not saying it's excusable, but it's, it's that holding her as well as holding her accountable, that would be unconscionable. But we do that with mental illness so willingly and so regularly. And Natalie took full advantage of this societal loophole and just left out my depression and addiction. And, you know, she was my best friend. I talked to her so much about struggling with drugs and my dad and you know as part of when you were like I don't think you ever slowed down after you got off Adderall then so 2017 I quit Adderall the next two years I stepped away from Instagram I made maybe like 15 posts over two years and all of them were like I'm back and then I would disappear for another two months and you know I think the biggest consequence During those years, I didn't get professional help until the very end of those two years. I didn't go to therapy, didn't have a program. And it took so long. Like I I was just Googling like resources on addiction and just like, oh God, I paid for like online self-help courses, just like a really patchwork ragtag self-starter approach. I don't recommend it. I think I could have done that work so much more efficiently within the structure of uh of like an addiction center, but you know, as part of that self-imposed recovery, like I did the AA step of like making amends and writing, like cataloging all the ways that you hurt someone. I sent Natalie like this long email of making amends. And like, we talked, we went back and forth. I, I, she accepted my apology. I apologized. I told her I was clean from Adderall. And that was in 2017 or maybe, maybe 2018. And then the week before she published her article, she sent me an email being like, you know, I'm so glad about your recovery and addiction. 
and still she published this article, almost 6,000 words without using the words addiction or recovery or mental illness or depression once. It's not that she lied in anything she said. The only way she lied was by omission. So after that article went out and you were dealing with the heat of that and your father passed, so that was in 2018? 2019. When the, 2019. Okay. So more Last recent. Last fall. Okay. Like it was literally like one year ago this month. Yeah. Is that when you started going to therapy more regularly? No, I actually started going to therapy a year prior to that. So fall of okay. 2018. I emailed Natalie to make amends that spring. Mm-hmm. Later that fall, I started going to therapy and I hit it hard. I started going three times a week. I was living sort of off the grid in Seattle, not off the grid, electrical grid, off the Instagram grid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that therapist was okay, but we didn't really connect, but I felt like I made a lot of progress. And that winter, I came back to the internet and I was still messy, still figuring myself out. But I really needed to make money and I didn't want to just sell hoodies. I mean, everyone has bills to pay. This is no shade towards selling hoodies. But I just, I was also just lonely and I just wanted to connect with that community that had meant so much to me at Cambridge. A lot of people had stopped following me over the years. And and even when I came back and I was like, I've been addicted to Adderall a lot of people were like, we did not sign up for this. We signed up for Cambridge fairy tales and I no hard feelings at all. Like they, I have no ill will towards those followers who didn't like the, the more truthful content. But for the ones who did, I made these workshops where it was basically like, we just sit around, have salad, uh, coffee, white wine, talk about creating art and heartbreak and pain and recovery. I didn't think I had the answers to life at that point, but I felt like over the past two years of being away from Instagram and breaking up with my college boyfriend, who was a big relationship in my life and, and getting clean from Adderall, I felt like I had some stories to share, but sit around on the floor and talk about feelings for six hours doesn't have quite the same ring for it, ring to it as a workshop titles. So I called them creativity workshops and they sold out. And then January, 2019, I went viral as a scam, literally a month after returning to the internet. Uh, I went absolutely viral as a scam. And some of the claims about my workshops, like I didn't feed people or like I didn't buy chairs or like I canceled the tour, didn't give refunds. Like some of those things are just wrong. Um, I ended up finishing the tour. Anyone who wanted a refund got one. I had delicious salad at all of my events and there were no chairs because this is my brand and I'm sitting on the floor right now. But yeah, it was really, it was really tough being criticized by a bunch of people who never would have bought a ticket to a niche event for a niche community in the first place. But that really teed up Natalie for her article to go even more viral when she was like, let me tell you more about this scammer. Yeah. So I read about the, the events and some people 
equated it to like five fests, which I thought was a pretty fucking far reach. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, no one, no one's life was endangered at this Williamsburg no. loft filled with potted no. plants. <laughs> no. And some of the locations from what I read that you, you didn't intend or didn't end up working out, it was reported that they did get their refunds. And everyone got a refund. And I'm sorry, but again, I have girlfriends who go to New York who do a yoga class with their followers and charge them a hundred dollars a head. Like this for an hour. For an hour. For one for one hour yeah. to do a yoga class at a yoga studio and charge them a hundred dollars. So and again whether you're selling hoodies, a journal, a book, or an event, this is something that it's not like Caroline is, you know, I'm not one to, um, you know, not hold people accountable. So I just think it's interesting that so many people are like up in arms about this event and all of these things. And it's like, this, this is really not abnormal like (laughs) people do this yeah all the fucking time 165 dollars for six hours with lunch and wine included and goody I think one of the other problems was all the things I included in my like uh like swag bag were really inside jokes with my followers like I do a lot of gardening in mason jars so I had like packs of wildflower seeds and like mason jars and and normal stuff like journals stickers and just like it really lent itself well to a flat lay photo on twitter and someone being like what the literal fuck is this crap you know like unless you'd been following my brand and like I don't know unless these this collection of objects meant something to you emotionally the alternative was it meant nothing to you at all looked like junk well yeah and I would assume that the people who would attend such events would be people who would understand listen if if you ever come to Alexis Haynes event if I ever do an event you will be getting a Nancy Joe this is Alexis Nair's calling crying hoodie uh, with my face on it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are other things that are on brand for me? A crystal and um, a reusable water bottle. I mean, like, I just don't, what did they expect? Like a hundred dollars. This is not like the Emmys. You're not getting <laughs> I mean, a swag bag I'm going to be like in the words of Alexis Haynes this is not the Emmys but you know it's it's just tough because I think on the internet it's hard for people to actually nuance doesn't exist online no. is one thing I have learned in the past year and a half and like there are so many things I've done that are shitty and I should be held accountable for. Like no one held a gun to my head and was like, sell a book you don't want to write. Like no one held a gun to my head and was like, buy Instagram followers, get addicted to Adderall, be a shitty friend on methamphetamine for three years. Like all of those things, like I've made so many mistakes and like I'm, 
I'm still, but here's the thing, Caroline, you've made a lot of mistakes and it is the people who choose to purchase from you knowing the history. I mean, you know, it's almost like, here's the thing. I feel like at this point, if you purchase Caroline's book, you're purchasing it because you you're want, along for the ride and you're you along want for the, the fucking mess. ride totally you want that's the how I feel. you're not buying it for the yeah. book you're buying it because you want to dm caroline every day and go where's my copy of the fucking book which that was number one question in my instagram is where is my fucking book i mean i, well, I mean, think wh- i'm s- <laughs> i it's <laughs> honestly Honestly, I think I might offer, I mean, anyone who wants a refund can get one at any time. And I think something that was underreported about the workshops was I didn't just offer refunds. I literally refunded everyone, even people who had attended the events, because I very naively and dumbly thought if I do this, reporters will just stop comparing me to fire festival. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I was like, I was scared because Billy McFarland's in jail. And I was like, the news was comparing me to him. And I was like, like, no, I, it's fucking insane. My heart sank into my butt. But you know, something that I, I, uh, yeah, I, I have so many questions for you about how you, you laugh at it now. And I mean, you selling like something that I, when I think about what we have in common, I think about the way that you have, made peace with the moments of the way that you're able to at least on the outside I I would love to know what it's like for you but when you sell those hoodies or like I was looking at your TikTok um and like you redoing the phone call like that iconic entertainment weekly even picked that up as news being like everyone stop what you're doing Alexis Haynes is doing TikTok and made an amazing TikTok like and I was like why didn't more news outlets pick up this story? Like iconic, but I, I mean, I'm calling my book scammer. I'm very much, I mean, I wish life hadn't fucked me so hard with my mom getting cancer this month. Cause I really would have loved to live a version of 2020 where August we shipped the book and my mom didn't have a tumor and she went, wasn't in the hospital right now. And I just had more bandwidth to do other things besides stare at the ceiling and worry about being an orphan. But, um, but that didn't happen. And although I lean into it, it still really hurts me. Does it still hurt you? Like I do it because I feel like I have no choice because people will make fun of me whether I join in or not. And so I feel backed into a corner. And I called my book Scammer because my Google search history will always have scam attached to my name so I might as well fucking own it but it doesn't mean I like it and it doesn't mean it's okay when people compare me to Billy McFarlane or Anna Delvey and I just I I just would love to know how you feel about it because I I'm sad (laughs) I'm so sad about it (laughs) yeah um for me it took years of so I went into treatment in 2010 and was like that's it I'll never return to the media space ever again I'll never ever ever do it I'm never going to work in the entertainment industry I'm done and about 
seven years into my recovery, I noticed that the way that I spoke to people and the way that I was able to have conversations with people was changing their lives. And I realized that when I tried to run away and hide in my early recovery and just pretend that I'm not who I am and go and live a quiet, normal life, I would slip into these really terrible, dark depressions that led to suicide attempts and severe anxiety. And what I realized is the more that I just owned it, every bit of my story, the fact that I was a twice convicted felon, junkie, robber, whatever, all the things that people were saying about me, that a lot of which were true, some of which were not. When I just owned it in combination with, and stopped trying to fight it, I guess the analogy would be like you're swimming towards like a violent ocean. That's what I would feel like I was doing in my recovery. Like I've come so far and I'd be like swimming and I'd be paddling as hard as I could and it was kind of like one day I just decided to let go of all of the fear and it wasn't easy and it was really painful. But when I acknowledged the fact that that none of those things define who I am, right? Like at the core of your being, my being, everyone's being is, is perfection, is peace, is love, right? That's how we come into this world and then the world hardens us and I wasn't willing to be hardened anymore and so I started doing a lot of Brene Brown's work on shame and I was willing to become that like raw nerve and I recognized that like I'm not willing to get in the ring with anybody who isn't willing to be equally as vulnerable so like if you want to shit on me for doing this interview with Tana or Caroline or anyone else that anyone sees as problematic, not you, the collective you, us, right? Totally. It's like, I'm not willing to fight with you unless you're willing to get in here and acknowledge that what you hate in you, me, or anyone else is something that you hate in yourself. So all of these people who are, you know, pointing out these perceived flaws or actual flaws I mean you clearly have not had like some of them are legit I'm some of them are legit and so I guess my question so so to sum it up I would just say it just took time time and like acknowledging yeah like I don't have an emotional pull I don't have emotional pull like people are like how do you say that you were like raped like that like when you were five and like not ball crying you know and I'm like man it's just I don't have that emotional What I realized was that my pain was never about the specific traumas in my life. It was the belief systems that I built around myself after. So when I was sexually abused, the belief systems were my body's not my own. I'm not safe in this world. I'm dirty. No one's going to really love me. Now I'm flawed. When my dad would beat the shit out of me, my beliefs were I deserve this. I'm a piece of shit. I started this chaos when I was in my active addiction and like all of these storylines are all the same but they're not actually the truth they're not actually the truth the truth is that you're perfect even no matter what 
hell you've been through and that everybody is redeemable and can heal, but it's about, you know, personal accountability and loving ourselves through the messy parts. I mean, I can't tell you how many times a day I say to myself, I love the part of me that's scared right now. I love the part of me that's afraid to be my authentic self. I love the part of me who's putting up these walls of, of being, you know, whatever it might be, whatever wall I'm putting up in order to try to protect myself. Like I know that doesn't work and I'm not willing to do it anymore. And so I think that showing up authentically is, you know, key for me. And maybe none of that made sense to you. Um, no, it, it all me- makes sense. I love Brene Brown, love Glennon Doyle, Melton Wambach as well. Mm-hmm. Like icons, icons. Yeah. And, you know, I was really scared when you began this interview because I really... I'm good at discounting the opinions of people who I wouldn't want advice from in the first place. But when we started this interview, I almost felt like a little, I I felt scared because I was worried that you would believe, I don't know, the worst in me. And it's, it's hard to have the strength to believe in the version of yourself that you see and know when someone whose advice you would want and whose advice does matter to me, think something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I personally try to really stay out of judgment of anybody. I like to give everybody. And by uh, the way, yeah, I want to say something very problematic on your podcast. Are you ready? You already (laughs) did one, but go ahead. (laughs) I already caught one really problematic thing that I know we're going to get shit for. Go ahead. What's the second one? Uh, okay don't even tell me don't even tell me no 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 no, no. don't say it it. make people guess make make people guess okay I love Tana (laughs) what 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 do you love about Tana I love her authenticity I love I think it's so hard for women in this world to be like you know what I really like fame and I like attention and that's not an inherently bad thing there are ways to love it. Like there are ways to love anything that are toxic, but like I always wanted to be famous and I feel such shame even mm-hmm. saying that. But when I look at women, like, I, I mean, I just feel cultural shame. Like I just, there's so many assumptions that come with women who want that. Like, you know, if I were a man saying it, I'd be ambitious. I'd want big things, but like as a woman saying it, I'm superficial, I'm shallow, I'm conniving, I'm maybe a gold mm-hmm. digger. Like I don't want to work. Like I just want to leech off of other people. I'm, I'm not fundamentally not good, but I really admire Antana the way that she, she seems to have a certain piece about just liking it that I really admire. And I think, you know, if you look at YouTube, the way art historians look at art and look at stuff in the political, social context of when they were made and and what is exceptional. I think Tana's content over the past few years has been exceptional in its vulnerability. Like we can look back at it now and be like, this isn't authentic enough by 2020 standards. But when she was putting it out, she's always been on the cutting edge of being real and being like, I'm getting lip filler. Like I'm do like saying all the stuff that people were too ashamed to say out loud or like her just being like, I'm, I don't know, like 
I'm messy. I'm cheap. I have extensions. Like I love attention. Like I love, I think there's something so pure and so admirable the way she just um, identifies that stuff. And she's, she's flawed like anyone, but yeah, now I've said many problematic things on your podcast of my little spiel about how much I love Tana. I think someday you, me, Tana, and Paris Hilton are going to hang out at Paris's house. And it's going to it's going to be like four I generations. Don't think I will personally ever be invited to Paris Hilton's oh, house. Oh shit. Paris. But I, I love your no, optimism. No, 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 no. I think we will. I think you will. And I think it'll be very healing. And I, I, she was at the top of mind because of the documentary. There is nothing more. I, it's interesting because I have always said, this is not who Paris really is. And I know that there's trauma there. I, so for, to be clear, I never robbed Paris Hilton's house. I didn't even know Nick Kruga when he robbed Paris Hilton's house. Okay. But Are Paris you kidding clearly, me? That's all I see in the news. I know. Why but is I just, the news I had, allowed to lie like Why like this? this? I don't know. But the bottom line is this. When I got into recovery, yeah, just it like a lot of these things kind of fell into place where I realized that like the messiness is just pain, right? Like the, I don't know. And I, and I've always known that, you know, that there is more there and I have a lot of empathy for her. I find her really interesting. I think she's very smart. Just, I have a lot of the same feelings about her that I do about you, that this, that you're smarter. Your life is not really just messy. You're really good at living in this mess and about making it into what it is. I think that people just, some people think that this is a hundred percent calculated and contrived. Some people think that this is just a hundred percent an accident. I think it's somewhere in between like that. All of the things so in the middle. Yeah, that like these things have happened. And as a response, you're going, okay, what's the best way to react off of this? I totally know, like, what's your inner dialogue like? Like, what is your, what is, yeah, what's your inner dialogue? Because you come off as this like bubbly. I I, I thought about this when you did Z-Way. And I actually want to talk about Z-Way for a second, if you don't mind. But Mm -hmm. um, you came off as like this really kind of, bubbly some people would say arrogant or naive or young or whatever it is and it's just like I'm like this is not this is like a show I feel like in the same way Paris is putting on or was putting on a show for all of those years I'm like this is not really truly who Caroline is yeah I I felt a little set up in that whole situation I mean we look at if you look at like Z-Way's sort of like her taking it to Instagram live, because it, it used to be a YouTube show YouTube in show. a studio. Mm-hmm. That sh- the show's been going on for three years and it's only been live since this summer. And like you came quite late in the interviews after Alyssa Milano, after uh, Allison Roman, after Rose McGowan, after me. But I was one of the first ones. And, and when she pitched it to me, she sent me you know, names of different comedians who had been on it and some links to the YouTube show. And if you go back and watch the show in its YouTube iteration, it was very much a comedy show and she had comedians on it. So I went on it trying to be funny, funny. And it did not go well Well, for me. People do not think I'm funny. Funny. People do not think, (laughs) people think I'm just 
people think I actually think ally cookies exist. <laughs> they think that's something I genuinely wanted from her in uh-huh. that moment. Like she would be like, here's your ally cookie. And I, with total sincerity, would be like, thank you so much. Like it just, I thought it was funny, but other people did not. But also, by the way, this is on my mind because as soon as you were like, I don't think I'd be invited to Paris Hilton's house. I just realized I don't even, I wasn't, I was thinking of Paris Hilton as someone who has just like lived in mess and kept going and had Mm -hmm. the resiliency. And with time, the culture has been like, maybe we were a little too harsh on you, you know, like, and I think she, I am just so sorry for beginning this interview by being like, I read your book. I watched the Paris Hilton documentary. Oh, uh, no, no, I was I really saying it from it. a place of oh, like, no, no, no. I, I, I didn't, okay, I, I didn't mean to be like, no, no, no. Rude. Okay, good. No, that was uh, on my mind. No, no, you're not at all rude. <laughs> and um, I, my anxiety I thanks you for not think... taking it that way. <laughs> I had to, no, I try to remain quite neutral about all of these, all things um, in life. Um, but so absolutely no judgment here, but I, I actually think Paris and I would be great friends and I would love the opportunity. I think we would be great friends. I think that it would break you the fucking internet. You meet Tana Paris, Paris's <laughs> house. Break the internet. I think it would break the internet. Four but not generations that, of messy white women. I said to a mutual friend of ours, actually, I was like, listen, I know there's hard feelings there, right? There must be. Does doesn't matter that I didn't rob her house. Just the fact that I was even associated with that crew of people. And I can't even imagine I think it would almost be like a therapeutic. Not that like I know what Paris oh, means, totally. but I think it could totally be like this therapeutic thing where I'm i I'm just here for whatever she needs. If Paris ever decides to reach out and is like can we sit down and I just vent about all of my feelings about all these things? I think it'd be really, I would just sit there and take it. I would take whatever punches she has for me. And I, and I would do so with like the intention of being, of, of setting her free from whatever pain she has from that. Like that's just kind of how I feel. When I become friends with Paris, I will tell her that and I'm going to make this happen. Love it. I really do. I'm going to be like, I've met her. She's very nice. And I think this would be great for both of you. Also in the documentary, Paris talks a a lot about like having trauma from uh, like, she went to a terrible, abusive, physical, emotional, abusive boarding school. And I think it would be so, yeah, I, I think anything that made her, would make her feel like, you know, connected. I, I think it would be great and I'm excited for it, but it sounds like you're way more famous than I am because I don't, that I'm aware of, I don't have any mutual friends with Paris and you're like, our mutual friend was telling me, and I'm like, okay, wow, you're very famous because I don't know I, anyone who knows. I'm Paris. not, I, I, I'm not, um, I have like 90,000 followers though. on Instagram here. Okay. So going back to Z-Way, because I, I really, I do want to get some of these questions answered from the fans. I only took the ones that I thought were appropriate. Mm. Um, we talked about how you think it went looking back on it. Would you have still gone on? Like if you could, if you could do no. a rewind, no, you wouldn't. I mean, Absolutely I would not. Okay. Would you I go would. on it again? Yeah, I would. Why? Again, I think when we talk about like just owning it, I went on there and admitted that I did blackface. I think I'm the only person that's ever 
just like owned it without being called out. Like when I say like I own all of the messiness of my story, I mean, that's, that's how we heal and recover is by taking radical responsibility and accountability for our actions. And I think that overall, while I had a couple of slip ups, I couldn't remember fucking Bernie Sanders name in the moment because I was so having such bad anxiety. I think I would be much more comfortable going on it now, which maybe she doesn't even want probably no she probably likes the fact that I was a little bit uncomfortable (laughs) the thing is if I went it's tough to be like would you go on it again because now you can see everyone's interviews and Mm -hmm. I was really the interview where the show pivoted from a comedy show to a sort of like social social serious yeah Yeah. social interview Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. race and Mm -hmm. and honestly being sort of like baited and switched like that by her was really uncomfortable for me. And mm-hmm. I, just the way she was with me behind the scenes versus how she was publicly was really hurtful. And I would not like to repeat that experience at all, but I support you going on it again. I just, I did not have a positive experience with her. Hmm. Okay. Do you feel, would you have liked more this is not going to come off as kind, but I mean it from a nice place, more handholding through the experience. Like, would you have wanted her to like, are you looking for her to kind of clarify, (laughs) clarify, or, you know, have said some sort of a commentary on the, on it afterwards? Is that what you would have liked? No, 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 no. Let me be clear. I'm actually so glad you asked that so I can clarify. I would have, what hurt me was the way she was behind the scenes versus the way she was publicly. And I would have been so much less confused and so much less hurt by the situation if behind the scenes and publicly, she had just been like, fuck you. What really fucked with my mind was the way that she sort of like egged me on behind the scenes and like really tried to be my friend. And, and that, confused me. I I would have preferred less holding, hand holding and less trying to, to the point. Uh, That's how I feel about Tana yeah, in just my like, interview <laughs> with Tana. Because Tana what? posted a YouTube video and I get we all got to do what we got to do where she was like totally shit talking me and like I'm going to go and ask this girl why she did what she did and all this stuff and then she came in like a cute little kitten sweet as can be. And just like sat down with me and like, was like, you're so interesting. Oh my God. I'm like shocked by this. I love listening to you. I could just listen to you all the day. Oh my God. This is like therapy for me. Oh my God. I'm going to call you after. Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like took me up on, I was like, if you ever want to like get lunch and, you know, need someone that you can talk to and just confide in, like, I'm here for you. And then she put out this like kind of scathing YouTube video, but whatever. That's on well, that. Okay, I saw that YouTube video. And to be fair, to be fair, I don't know if you watched the whole thing, but after she got done with the interview, she literally like in the elevator with Amari is like, I was so wrong that like she, Alexis has changed so much. Like, wow, like she really like wasn't what I expected. Like she said such nice things about you when she got in the elevator. I don't know if you just saw the mean stuff and were like, fuck <laughs> this, I don't need to watch this. But like she said really nice stuff afterwards. Yeah. And I it's, and it's not that I yeah, need the actually I, totally, I just think it's interesting that she went in with this intention of like, I'm gonna punk this chick, which I'm like, ugh, that's kind of cringy. But anyway. Um, I don't want to take up all of your time. I really want to get these 
couple of questions answered because fans are wanting to know. Um, I thought this one was funny. Why won't you leave Natalie alone? And bitches, it's for the same reason I'll never let Nancy go. Everyone's like, you should leave Nancy Joe alone and never say her name again. No, that moment, it has nothing to do with Nancy and everything to do with me. And I'm taking that fucking part of my story back and owning it. And it is mine, period. So what is your thought? Amen. I am not going to let Natalie feed off of my name for another day or my story. And, you know, her manipulating my narrative irrevocably changed the course of my life forever. Like a lot of people don't think I wrote my Cambridge captions. A lot of people don't think I was addicted to Adderall or struggling with the mental illness I inherited from my father. They think I was just a shitty person and I was a shitty person that's not the whole story. And her publishing that, it still affects me every single day. And I'll be fucking damned if I don't apply every ounce of the resourcefulness and creativity and humor I have inside this heart of mine towards trying to make the best of that situation. Amen. Why do you see Natalie's um, article as a sellout when you've been writing and profiting online doing the same thing to other people? That's a great question. And, you know, I've never, and you can easily fact check this, even when I had a smaller audience and the rules of the internet were a little bit different, I never once made content about anyone using their name or face that didn't delight them. I never said anything mean about them. I never told any of their secrets. I never... I literally just like, these were my friends, my boyfriends, and I was really careful to only use my, I don't know, the the megaphone of my Instagram platform to emphasize and highlight and broadcast the things about themselves that they liked. Mm. And it's a sellout because, you know, Natalie, Natalie wasn't a reporter. You know, it's not like I told her about buying 40,000 fake followers in an interview. It's not like I let her into my life and, and I don't know. So you told her my secrets and confidence and then she went. Confidence. She was my best friend. And then she sold shameful, negative secrets that I didn't want to make public. You know, Mm -hmm. she, it's a sellout because it's my full name in the title of the article. I, I couldn't go to New York magazine. I mean, I could now, but when she did it, mm. no one could sell an article with the title. I was Natalie beach, but she sold an article. I was Caroline Calloway and you know, it's cashing in and it's taking things I told her in confidence and, and selling them for $5,000 to get a byline in New York mag pretty yeah I mean okay it's pretty so standard if, to me if you it's interesting because it's like if you have a story about someone who's actually doing something really bad trafficking kids or that was the first thing that came to mind just totally seen. if you if you were one of you going victims okay if you whatever yes. <laughs> if you were actually truly doing terrible things not just like potentially scanning people on the internet okay about you know, who's really writing these things or you're a ghostwriter or whatever, whatever. If it was really something big, you would not get paid for that article. 
for giving that information or giving an interview or as a journalist writing that. So I understand that. Yeah, um, and I just, it just, yeah. What is the cringiest thing that you've ever done? Gone lip fillers and lied about it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never told anyone until now. This podcast is me coming out with my lip fillers. Um. Okay, what, and you think that's, more cringy than the like whole Anne Frank thing oh yeah well that was an honest mistake I mean <laughs> okay people love to blow that people people if you ask if you ask a troll about this story it will be like Caroline Calloway joked about dressing up as Anne Frank for OnlyFans like I tweeted or something in reality I reposted to my Instagram story a screenshot of a screenshot of my OnlyFans account and included in the screenshot was someone saying, or maybe it was like the caption or something being like, do Anne Frank next. I think it was a screenshot. Mm. And I just didn't, I didn't read like the comments in the screenshot. And so I reposted it to my story, took it down like an hour later. And now for the rest of my life, I have trolls who can technically send in questions like ask her about when she Trolled and framed or like Frank. made fun that of was in here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was an honest mistake. And no, it's lying about the lip filler because, you know, I have been honest about such intense things in my life, you know, suicide, addiction. Yeah, uh, why do you feel so much depression. shame on the lip filler? What is it? I think I feel shame because I think I should have known better. Like I just even as I came clean with like much more intense things about my life, I've felt sort of trapped in that line. I felt a little, uh, I don't even get that much. I get the tiniest amount. I just got it done. You can see a bruise here and here, but, um, I felt so dumb for lying about it. Like I'm embarrassed for myself. Like that's why it's cringy. Mm. Like I, I feel like I should know better. I feel like I absolutely should know better. I don't think it's embarrassing at all. I don't think, I think if Kylie Jenner's not embarrassed about it, you shouldn't be either. Um, what was, what was the decision behind OnlyFans? I mean, that's a big leap. You're going from, Hey, I've got like a little bit of scandal, but I can totally go away still. Like you could have made the decision after your dad died and Natalie's thing came out and you had the, the drama with the events and even the book now, right? You could have issued refunds and been like, I'm just going to go away and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to do whatever. And you could like, you could check out. What was the thought process for OnlyFans? Well, it was pretty simple. I was horny and bored during quarantine, but above <laughs> all else, I needed money. And I, I don't know if you did this as part or saw this, when you were doing your research, um, because it is behind a, a $10 paywall. So it's not like an easily clickable link. But when quarantine started and the apocalypse began in full force, I took my Natalie response and pulled it from the major magazine where it had been slated to run. And I combined it with content from Scammer and fleshed it out into a four-part essay series that I put behind a $10 paywall. And so instead of getting my big paycheck for like this long awaited Natalie response, which I would have just fucking kept. And, and, you know, I don't mean to paint myself out like a saint. I considered keeping the money from the website, 
the money that I was getting from the Natalie response. But I raised over $50,000 for doctors on the front lines who needed masks. And then I had just really planned my 2020 around the Natalie response paycheck. And I was like, I guess I'll join OnlyFans. And it's been great income. Okay. So, but the, I don't know, and maybe it is the decision to move towards OnlyFans. I can imagine it's not just like I'm horny and I've got a hot bod and great tits. So now I'm going to make money off of this. I mean, like, this is like a, (laughs) you do. Um, Great tits. (laughs) So cute and perky. (laughs) Subscribe to my OnlyFans. My username is Caroline (laughs) Calloway. But (laughs) Caroline, the decision is not that easy. You're moving basically into porn. No, I mean, I... I think if you actually subscribed to my OnlyFans, you'd feel differently. I mean, it is dangerous listen, territory. And I'm that, all and that, for no, 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 no. do what you want. I'm, I'm not judging you. Too. Yeah. Like, no, but hey, I'm, just, I'm saying, just saying, I don't know if it's that easy of a decision. If like, I want the whole world to see like my body naked. Well, here's the thing. I only post topless photos. I don't do videos. I don't, I don't you know, collab with other artists. I don't put anything inside of me. I don't really like show. I love the little crease that girls' bodies make, like, you know, when they're sitting like this, like I show that, that. but like, (laughs) and my, yeah. And like, I, but I don't show anything else. My, my cutoff is really, if it wouldn't be put on the slide projector in an art history lecture at Cambridge, Mm. then I won't do it. Like, you know, they're not showing us close-up vulva shots during art history class. Uh, the amount of titties. I love the Cambridge reference I have, see, I have seen in my life yeah. is fucking crazy. Lots and like, I really like my breasts. And, and I just think there's just so many topless girls in the history of art, not just in, you know, Baroque paintings, but in modern, I know, like high fashion shoots or like, even walking down the runway at fashion shows, like Hadid nipples out and hard. Like that is the vibe these days. Okay. And like, I, I just feel like as long as I stay within that, I don't feel like it, I don't feel like I'm crossing this cultural line that you're talking about. Cause what you're talking about is real. Like if I did porn, if I released a sex tape or like a, a close-up shot of me like sticking something into my pussy like that would be that would be a move that would be that would be a decision but and I move, I'm that. not at all judging I'm just saying and I, I'm just, all I don't for think, it yeah I, I'm saying no I'm all for it I just I okay so me I think I've got a great body has the thought of OnlyFans crossed my mind for some good money? Sure, but like I don't think I the money is it. very good. It's crazy. I I don't know if I could do it. That old bag though. Um, Tana's I, on OnlyFans too, I showing her titties. Tana, I know Tana's on OnlyFans. I might have to subscribe to her channel. Um, <laughs> she's got some good titties. Um, okay, she does. so she's great. Let me just make sure I'm not leaving anything out. We talked, I mean, we really covered a lot. I guess, I guess my last thought or my last question would be, I'm still confused about who you really are. (laughs) I'm still like, I guess at the end of this, I feel still a bit confused 
a little less confused, what would you really like people to know about you, the whole world, if you could tell them? That I'm a writer. Mm. Yeah, I think, I that's think the only thing that really gives my life purpose. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what are you confused about? I mean, I kind of want to be friends about this and I don't want confusion yeah. to be a foundation no, I, of our friendship. <laughs> like I'm like, I let's think, exchange numbers instead of organizing everything through our assistance via email. Yeah, I think um, this part of you to me does not feel, this interview does not feel messy or chaotic for the most part. It feels like uh, just a little messy but it's okay because we're all like a little bit messy Um, I guess I guess it's interesting because I too even though I feel like I'm able to like zoom out and not really judge had a perception of you based off of the z-way and the questions and all of the things and I'm like is this a persona is this like a calculated online persona or is this who you really are. And I think that my biggest takeaway is that it is complex. It is complicated. It is a little bit messy. And then aren't we all? Totally. And, you know, I think what you said about um, things not being all me staging chaos or all me, you know, just like along for the ride and like, whoopsie daisy, another thing happens. Like it really is in the middle in the sense that like, I'm a messy person. Mm. I still fuck up. I think I'm sort of moving towards a complete sobriety lifestyle. I mean, I've definitely been drinking way too much in quarantine. And I think with my depression and anxiety, I think when I'm a mom, I probably will not do any drugs, but I'm also just not, I don't know, ready to get my life together to that degree. I'm like, I'm still messy and I'm still human. I'm still messing up, but I'm also, I'm also smart and lightning on my feet and quick to respond to stuff and very resourceful and very resilient. And when something doesn't go my way, I try very quickly to flip it into something that I can use. And I, maybe that's something I wish that people knew about me. Like it's not so much, you know, it's genuine fuck ups, but it's also, I would like more credit for the amount that I'm able to play the internet like a church organ, you know, but, um, but that's going to be the title of this podcast episode is playing the internet like a church, like a church organ. I love it. But I mean, who can really know someone in an hour? Like, I feel like there's still so much I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. I feel yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities there. And I hope that the biggest takeaway that people have from this is that we're all messy and we're all chaotic and we're all problematic at times. The difference between you and us is that yours isn't all over the internet and is ours that is. my haters are of <laughs> a different breed and they are more rabid than anyone else. Sorry, I cut you off. No, it's okay. It's so hard. It's so hard on Zoom because you don't know, you can't time it well because you're not face to face. Yeah, it's so hard to like make jokes with. Oh, yeah, totally. It's a bit of a lot. Like the delay. Uh. Yeah, but it's okay. Yeah, I think that 
like I said, I think we're all messy. I think we all can be problematic. I think we all can be all of the things. It's just the difference is that ours ours is on the internet and, and yours isn't. So consider yourself fucking lucky. With that, thank you so much. I've loved having you on here. You can follow along with Caroline on Instagram at Caroline Calloway. You have the same on TikTok now. Two L. Same on TikTok now. They changed it for me. Yeah. Same on OnlyFans. Same, same on OnlyFans. Same on Spotify. Same on but Twitter, I have to misspell my own last name with one L with because one Twitter L. has a 15 character maximum limit. I'm waiting for the day when I'm Paris Hilton level famous and Twitter will just add another character for me to this. Just so I can you. spell my name correctly. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> but you. until then. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. This week's affirmation is, I choose to radically accept myself. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, head over to the podcast app and make sure to subscribe to us, rate us and leave a review. We have new episodes every Monday and you can follow along with us on Instagram at Recovering From Reality or visit our website at recoveringfromreality.com. 